welcome to the Get Sob Resilient podcast. I'm Gar O'Hara, and today we're joined by a longtime personal friend, Jessica Lee, founder and owner of Jessica Lee Consulting. Jess has a deep background in organizational psychology. She's worked in nearly every vertical, and before going out on her own, worked for big names like Diageo, Jolique, and Universal Music. Now she helps leadership and execs with coaching, assessments, building culture, and talent and team development strategies. For me, Jess was the perfect person to talk to about some very, very important resilience topics. Basically, acknowledging how important our mental health and well-being is given COVID and given the generally high levels of stress experienced by security practitioners and leaders. We all know about CISO burnout. The stats are scary, with average tenure being around 26 months. Nearly a third of CISOs reporting stress impacting their health and a general increase in the use of alcohol and medication. In the episode, we talk about what Jess is seeing in organizations during COVID with some cracking insights into what it means in terms of engagement and stress, culture and managing remote teams. We dig into stress and burnout in general and for CISO specifically, what the difference is between stress and burnout, how to spot each of them and how much it costs organizations to not get this stuff right. And perhaps most important of all, how to engage in self-care. With so many people feeling stressed and with the level of uncertainty that exists for many people in these days, and with how much burnout happens in cyber, even in normal times, this is a really important conversation. I really took a lot from speaking with Jess, so I hope you do too. Over to the interview. Welcome to the Get Cyber Resilient podcast. Uh, today, I'm joined by Jessica Lee, founder and owner of Jessica Lee Consulting. How are you doing, Jess? Great, Gar. How are you? I am doing well. Where does this podcast find you? It finds me on a very dark, very rainy Dublin, Ireland day, but thankfully my mood does not reflect the weather currently, so I'm feeling great, but that's good. Dublin's good to a, hear. Bit, a bit rainy, but that's not any different than any other day. Yeah, I know I know that feeling. So like for the listeners, uh, I've known Jess for quite some time. We're actually pretty good pals and... Um, because of the topic we're going to cover today, uh, she was a natural choice in terms of who to invite in. So we've been friends for quite some times. Um, so I kind of know all about you, but um, you know, the first question we always like to start with is the guest introducing themselves and kind of telling us how they arrived to where they are today in their career. And folks probably won't know Jessica Lee Consulting, given you are kind of operating out of the um, out of Dublin. Um, so yeah, it'll be. I'll leave it. I'll leave it to you to give the the big reveal on what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> Great. Thank you. So yeah, I suppose a little bit about me is I am an organizational psychologist or business psychologist. And literally what that means as simply as I can put it is just looking at behaviors of people in the workplace. And so as I put, excuse me, as I put it to my five-year-old niece a few years ago, she said, what do you do? I don't, I don't understand what you do. And I said, I just help people be better at their jobs. So I think that's a nice way to put it. Um, so my background is all psychology. I studied in, in, in Ireland, did an undergrad in psychology, then moved to Dublin City University and did my master's there, which is a, a really great master's, and then decided to move to Australia, where I had the pleasure of meeting you, Gar, and then um, worked in Australia and um, worked there for seven years, actually Australian citizens, so still do a bit of work across the globe in different countries. Um, I worked for the likes of Diageo, Jalik, uh, which a lot of Australians might know, which is retail skincare. I've worked pretty much any industry that you could possibly name. I've worked in tech, finance, aviation, 
retail, FMCG, etc. And um, then moved back to the UK, actually moved to London to work for Universal Music. Um, and through all of those roles, basically took kind of a, a learning and development or a business psychology lean across all of those roles. Um, so I would have been responsible for developing all different types of functions, including obviously any IT functions with any of those organizations and then moved back to Dublin in about the end of 2015 and set up my own business, which is, of course, Jessica Lee Consulting. And ultimately, I look at kind of very simply put kind of individual team and organizational behaviors. So that might be in an individual basis, it might be coaching team, it might be kind of general team development and then organizational might be something like a people strategy or a developmental strategy to help an organization grow and develop its people. Brilliant. So the the lens for today's conversation is a few things that I've, I think are pretty timely. There's obviously a lot going on in the world with COVID. And one of the things I was very keen to talk about, um, which we will get to, is uh, the substantial amount of burnout that happens in the cybersecurity and cyber resilience industry. And, you know, CISO burnout, it's not a, a new topic, so we'll, we'll kind of get to all of that. Um, but I thought it'd be good to just start out with, I mean, given your experience, and it's obviously very extensive, um, would love to hear your thoughts on what the biggest things you've kind of seen in the organizations you're working with due to COVID, like what's going on there. Yeah, there's, it's a huge range, to be honest with you. I think, um, I think I always explain it like a continuum or, or, or um, I suppose a range on one end, you've got kind of people thriving from it and loving working at home, loving the autonomy or whatever might be happening for them. So it might be autonomy. It might be, um, you know, more responsibility for whatever reasons, depending on the structures or changes to the business or the way people work. On the other end of the scale, of course, you've got people who are seeing major rises across the world um, in terms of things like loneliness, depression, um, people really not coping well, um, people's homes not essentially being a safe place to actually live, where I don't think people... Um, if you're in a situation where living at home and being at home, working from home is fine for you, I think obviously it's, you know, it's it's not front of mind of you, for you to think about other people's situations. Um, and I suppose from a diversity and inclusion lens, we have to think about all the different scenarios that people find themselves in. You know, I've talked to people who are working off a bed in their bedroom because they maybe have a shared living space with other people that they live with. Um, and obviously, you know, that over six, seven, eight months now we're coming up to it's just bad for you physically, it's bad for you mentally, it's bad for you emotionally. Um, so there's a massive range of what's happening. And one of the um, stats, I suppose, that I found that I found really interesting was a, a survey done by Gallup. So if anybody has any interest in employee engagement, so basically, you know, how how engaged people are, how involved you are, how enthusiastic about you are about your uh, going to work. Um, they found they run these engagement studies all the time, every year, and they're kind of known for it. But what they found is engagement globally is on the rise. And mm. that was really quite surprising to me. Uh, I would have naturally assumed it was it was dropping. But what they found was well-being was dropping and engagement was actually increasing. So mm. the more I kind of was thinking about that, and the more I looked into it, it was actually the the crux of what was happening was that people were getting more information and more communication from their organizations that they ever had done before. And what that was, was creating a level of kind of interaction, a level of more relationships, 
um, more engagement with your organization. And that has actually driven engagement to the highest it's ever been since they started doing the survey in 2000. So those findings, I think, were just really interesting. So I suppose, you know, if you're looking at your own organization, I'd say look at the well-being versus engagement scale and start asking people how they're doing. Yeah, that's that's kind of a, a fairly interesting distinction and certainly not anything I would have thought about. Um, my back was kind of silently screaming, as you described, working on a bed for seven months. I was, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, not in, not in my happy place. Yeah. Um, you, you obviously spend a lot of time working with uh, organizational cultures, and that's something that, uh, if it's set up well, um, can certainly kind of be something that can mitigate the stresses of stuff like COVID and obviously lots of other things, but um culture isn't something you can just switch on when you decide to like it takes some time to build up if if you're an organization that maybe is realizing how important that is given what's going on in the world uh right now and specifically with covid in this case like, is there things people can do to catch up or like how does that play out mm-hmm. um yeah culture as you say is a kind of a massive one and anywhere i've ever been uh any organization i've ever worked with i always say my theory is culture change takes roughly two years because if you're looking at any kind of kind of distinctive change ultimately there's lots of phases and stages to that upon which you have to communicate with people bring people along on the journey you know shift the way you're doing things and it sounds easy and it sounds a bit kind of out there maybe you know just shift the way you're doing things but ultimately you know that takes so much effort and concerted effort and I think where it works well and what organizations or leaders can do is start with the top. Um, so where I find that work, work really well is where leaders can show an element of vulnerability. Now, I do realize that some listeners might be, <laughs> might freak out at the, the, the thought of that word, but the idea of being vulnerable and showing a little bit of yourself and saying, here are some of the things that have been really challenging for me during lockdown or, you know, the last six months. Um, what have you guys been finding? And I think, you know, people that, that work in organizations go, oh, okay, wow, I didn't realize he or she felt that way. You know, I I have the same thing. I didn't realize they were in the same situation. And it just creates a better connection. So starting with communication as well, so linked to that vulnerability, an element of communication, I think, in any period of change, in any period of disruption, crisis, challenge, communication, you need to at least double um, and I think what I found is a lot of organizations have said, well, we don't want to bombard people with information and we don't want to keep sending stuff out. But actually what you're doing is, and what they found is people want more communication. Because if you think of, of you know, where those people are in that range that we talked about earlier on, you know, if there's people at the, the end of the spectrum thinking, oh my God, I don't know what's happening. They're maybe at home, they may be living alone. They maybe may not have much communication uh, outside of what they're getting from work, then they need more insight. They need more honesty. They need more communication. They need more vulnerability from their leaders. And they're kind of simple things that you can start off with that don't cost anything that, mm. um, you know, you can start with as a leader and make a decision around how vulnerable you want to be. I'm not saying, you know, go out there and tell everybody your deepest, darkest secrets, but, um, you know, start from the start and it doesn't have to cost you anything. Just be honest with people and match your words to your actions in terms of what you're doing, in terms of whether you're changing policies or procedures or structures, or if there might be 
you know, any changes to the business, those kind of things. Yeah, phenomenal. Uh, look, I, I definitely agree. I think the there's a craving for uh, authenticity and um, honesty. I think the transparency stuff. I think even when you trust people, it's amazing how resilient they can be. In, in my, you know, I'm obviously not a psychologist, but it feels like the more transparent and trusting you are, people are actually more resilient. And it, it's sort of it's it's for me counterintuitive. But as you're transparent about the good and the bad. It helps people feel, in my opinion, safer because they know whatever's being said is true rather than kind of guessing, is this is this real? Yeah. Um, so in a way, it feels like it kind of lowers the um, the stress levels. Is there, like, is there differences in terms of age brackets here? So, you know, how people of different age kind of ranges, whether whatever gen Y, X, Z, A, B, C, <laughs> um, you know, the, whatever, whatever you've got, the boomers. Um like, what have you noticed about that in, in your kind of work? Yeah. Um, again, kind of, I think when you start looking at these um, effects on people, I think you kind of make these assumptions or you think a certain way and then research, God bless its all, you know, tells you something different, which is why we do the research. Uh, <laughs> so, um for example, you know, I had kind of thought around millennials, Gen Zers. You know, well, you know, they grew, they grew up on phones, they grew up online, so they're all good. Uh, you know, and what's actually being found is they're not. They're probably doing the worst out of this than anyone. Um, so, you know, the people that are doing well are that kind of the next level up, where they've kind of gone through the stressful situations of of you know, working long hours and long commutes, etc. Um, you know, having to go through moving to working online, you know, 15, 20 years ago, whatever it was. Um, and they're actually enjoying in their mind and in inverted commas, the extra time. Um, you know, they don't have the commute. Maybe they can spend that with family. Maybe they've never had a scenario where they've ever had a kind of a flexible working arrangement. Um, whereas, you know, you look to most organizations now and if they're doing anything good, they are giving people flexible working arrangements and they would have been doing it before COVID because that's just the way the world is is moving and into a gig economy and contracting and all that great stuff. Um, so actually the millennials and Gen Zers are, are kind of more impacted because um, they, I suppose if you think about, and I'm speaking very broadly, if you think about them kind of living their lives online in terms of comparisons and perfectionism and all that kind of stuff they don't have that feedback um in work from their colleagues about how they're doing um yep. so they can't reach that perfectionism they can't do those comparisons so they're missing all of that so even though they're online um you know they're not getting that feedback as much so that's you know to your question earlier on that's another thing that can be done in terms of giving more feedback linking into that communication in terms of telling people how they're doing you know, making them feel more um, kind of conscious and aware of how they're doing on a daily basis helps them, you know, feel more at ease about working from home and potentially working alone. So do, do we need to set up some sort of a, an Instagram platform for, <laughs> uh, for the folks to feel like they're, they're valid and, and worthy? No, like it's, it's actually a really um, powerful insight. It hadn't, hadn't occurred to me at all, but um, yeah, certainly get, get what you're saying there. Mm. Um, do you think COVID's going to leave behind anything in terms of the kind of organizational level resilience? 
and you know whether that's the culture within the organization maybe also at the human level you know the the whole idea of um you know struggles making you stronger and you know that that sort of meme mm. is there anything that you you could see in the future that covid's going to leave behind and it's actually a pretty good thing in terms of how how we go about our lives when it comes to working lives yeah i mean in terms of in, from a positive perspective obviously again you're going to have a range but on the positive end of the scale um you know i think if you look at any research around resilience, the the phrases that are used is are things like bounce back, um, and you know I've run sessions before just purely on resilience, and I've had a lot of um, a lot of people kind of questioning me about the about that bounce back because they kind of felt like that that wasn't a fair phrase to use. So I mean. I was kind of saying it wasn't my phrase, but <laughs> we were trying to decipher what they what the, you know they meant from that. And ultimately, I think a lot of people had found that resilience, when you're talking about bounce back, referred to bouncing forward. So you know, how can I suddenly, you know, I I can't just be resilient tomorrow, and I can't just find all of these um, aspects within myself to to gain strength and be resilient. Um, and we were kind of saying, well, it's, it's not really about that. It's about bouncing back to the place that you were. And so my point is in terms of long-term, uh, resilience from the impact of COVID, I think what people will realize is they didn't even realize how strong they were in the first place. And so if people can take that message and go, wow, you know, when you look at all the adversities that so many people have gone through, if you take anybody listening takes, you know, an example of anything they've gone through in their life. You've gone through it and, and you're still here and isn't that wonderful? So if you at least take that, that can kind of keep you going um, in, in the longer term. And there will be tons of lessons, I think, in terms of how we lead people, how we communicate with people, how we give people trust, as you were talking about, in terms of working from home. That's a massive area um, of a lot of organizations not trusting and demanding that people have their cameras on and demanding everything where people at home are sitting there going if I have to do another zoom I'm going to smack my head against the wall <laughs> you know it's quite <laughs> it's quite an exhausting process to have your camera on you know for eight or nine hours a day uh, because ultimately you're, you're acting in a way and it's emotional labor um, which is uh, which I kind of came across when I worked in a call center it was the idea of emotional labor is where um, you are essentially pretending to be so nice. Thank you so much for calling when you want to <laughs> strangle the person who's being very rude to you. <laughs> this kind of idea. So it's, it's a similar idea. I think when you're, when you're on zoom, because you have to put on a smile and, you know, be a little bit of a different persona sometimes. And that's kind of tiring. There's, there's something about zoom as well that I find, uh, tiring in how, how your eyes work because it feels rude to not look at the person when they're on a screen versus if you're in a room with them it's okay to look at the posters or you know if there's a pot of tea or whatever you know you, your eyes naturally wander around and um i think that's a, a funny thing you know you've got these a wall of people sometimes and mm -hmm. um, or just one-on-one -on -one like this you know this conversation and you know for people listening we're on zoom so we can see each other but mm -hmm. it's it is that thing where you feel like, oh my God, you know, it's rude if I kind of look away. Um, and I do feel like that's part of the the, the fatigue that um, that does kick in. I, I sort of had um, Elton John's I'm Still Standing going through my head when you uh, were talking about realizing, you know, you get through it and you're still here. 
Um, I yeah. don't know if um, Matt, who's the uh, producer, could um, add that in, but we don't have rights, yes. so I'm guessing we won't be able to, but <sighs> that's okay. I can that's do a rendition okay. if you want. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe maybe we'll record that afterwards, and we can add it okay. in if it feels if it feels right. Um, Perfect. I'm sure it will. Yeah, we'll 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 see how we go. <laughs> um, I wanted to just pivot a little bit and mm -hmm. talk more specifically around the idea of stress mm -hmm. and and something that's obviously related, which is burnout. And mm -hmm. you know, I'd, I'd say, kind of looking around me these days. I think there's a lot of people who think they're doing fine and yes. you know they they probably feel like they're doing fine but in reality they're actually struggling there, there's things showing up for them uh, and how they um how they're behaving is maybe a little bit different or a little bit mm -hmm. um you know tense or stressed and um you know when we were chatting pre-call and i know i've shared this with you like the you know jim morrison quote of i've been down so goddamn long it looks like up to me mm -hmm. and i think that can happen quite easily where people are just used to being so phenomenally stressed that it's just normal. You know, it's it's like that. that's just life and they have no sense of what it might feel like to be fully relaxed. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. Can you comment on why we don't kind of see our own struggles or why we don't have a good sense of where we actually are? Yeah. And, or if that's true, maybe it's not. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there's a few points around there. I think, you know, the example I always use is, you know, if you go away, you're lucky enough to go away kind of on a two week holiday. It's not until kind of day 10 that your body feel like, you know, if you're lying on a sunbed or whatever, your body feels like it's just finally starting to ease into the chair. Whereas previously your shoulders were probably about two inches off it. Yeah. And you're like, what feels different? Oh, this feels weird. And then hopefully it kind of kicks in that you're like, oh, wow. Okay. I'm finally relaxing. Wow. I didn't know I was that stressed. And it's usually, it's kind of a really unfortunate aspect to stress that you don't recognize and and understand it a lot of the times until you're out of it. And I suppose that's where burnout comes in because it means you're not coming out of it. You're just in a constant, perpetual, like excessive and prolonged state of stress. And, you know, obviously stresses are different for everybody as well. So... What's stressful to you might not be stressful to me. So even understanding our own individual stressors is is even quite difficult to to be aware of. Um, a lot of the times, what I say to people about stress is, if you feel like you're in a stressful situation, um, or you know you you're maybe stressed by certain particular things, trying to ask people around you to kind of call you out and give you feedback and. Um, help you with understanding that because a lot of the time we don't actually know we're in it um, and that can just kind of be a perpetual kind of negative cycle because it's just compounding 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 so unless somebody kind of calls you out and goes you know how you actually doing or you know you seem a bit tired lately or you seem very quiet and um, I've had loads of questions on this in terms of managing people remotely so hmm. one of the things I've said is, you know, one of the easiest things you can notice if somebody had their video on before and suddenly has it off all the time, you know, I'd be, you know, making direct contact with that person. If somebody previously was contributing lots to conversations and suddenly isn't, or even over time isn't, then check in with that person. You know, if somebody, um, who was previously relatively op optimistic about things, you know, becomes a bit more pessimistic or a bit negative about things, I check in with that person. So they're all kind of cues of how you can do that. Um, 
And then another way to look at it is um, if you've ever come across the book Thinking Fast and Slow, it's Daniel Kahneman. So um, it's basically the idea that your brain has kind of two systems. Um, so the first is like fast, instinctive, emotional. It's like, you know, your your natural reaction to things. And for most of us, that's where we sit most of the time. So if you have a really demanding job, if you have lots of customers asking you lots of questions, if you have ridiculous amounts of emails, if you have a day full of calls and Zoom calls, and then you have to start your work at six o'clock, then, you know, you're, you're constantly in that system of just fast, instinctive, emotional, reactive, and you never get a chance physically, mentally, emotionally to just sit back and relax. Um, and that's, that's really difficult because the, the other system, just to clarify, is kind of a slower, more deliberate, more logical, more reflective and we don't, as people kind of, as naturally make time for that and fall into that second system. So it just means that we're in a perpetual state of movement, perpetual state of thought. And if we're compounding that with, you know, um, using our phones and more screen time after work, mm. um, you know, that's just, that kind of worries me a little bit, to be honest, in terms of the long-term effects of working online and, and, um, you know, having that amount of screen time all day, every day. Is there uh, an element, we're going a little bit off, off piece here maybe, but, mm -hmm. um, like thinking about, uh, stress and operating in, in that kind of mode for so long, like, is there an element almost of a, like it becomes almost addictive where, you know, if you do finish a long, stressful day, you do pick up your phone because you want to continue the stimulation. You want to mm -hmm. get angry about, I don't know, comments on, uh, you know, Reddit or Facebook or whatever, whatever social media mm -hmm. things people might be uh, be doing. But does it show those kind of addictive traits? And, and is it is that part of the problem? Oh, absolutely. I just watched. Uh, if you, I watched the Social Dilemma this week. Yes, on Netflix. Amazing. Oh my god! I was like, oh, oh wow! Oh my god! Uh, you know the the idea that basically programs are being built to essentially hack into people's addictiveness, the human nature of addiction is just, you know, quite worrisome, I suppose. Um, so yeah, you know, if you, if you link that to stress, for example, I met, met a friend out for dinner last night, uh, and Dublin's in lockdown. So we sat outside in the rain and enjoyed a steak. <laughs> And <laughs> not really, but it was, it was nice to catch up with a human being. <laughs> um, and she was saying she is trying to use working from home to be more, um, more deliberate with the time she's spending at work and on screens and stuff. And she said, so she finishes at X time. Um, and what she's found is that she'll see a kind of say three, four emails come in at the end of the day and she'll go, Oh, oh yes, I can answer these. And she'll automatically go because her thing is she wants to be helpful. She wants to be responsive. And she's even said herself straight off the bat, straight away, you know, I, I don't need to respond. People don't actually need an answer on this until tomorrow. But yet she's doing it anyway. And it, it's adding an extra kind of 20 minutes, half an hour to her day. So already she's kind of not living by her own rules. And I think that's one of the hardest things as a human being is to create uh boundaries for the way that we work, boundaries for the people that we have in our lives and, and kind of what we accept and don't accept. 
Um, so stress can be really, really addictive. And some people thrive on it or think they thrive on it because mm. it's like, oh, I love when, you know, I've only got a, an hour to get something out. I always do my best work. And it's like, okay, maybe you do, but to, is there a detriment there? You know, so it's asking yourself all those questions. Is there a better way for you personally uh, or even physically and mentally to work a little bit better uh, so that you're not stressed out as much and you can enjoy life because that's what it's all about. <laughs> yeah, man, I, it certainly really is. Although, yeah, sometimes it, it's, it's hard to remember that. Absolutely. You you might have kind of pointed to this a little bit already, but um, like the difference between stress and burnout, obviously you, you sort of said that they're different stages um, of yeah. the same thing. Like, is there a transition or is there a way to kind of spot you know, it's presumably more than just staying in a stress mode, but there's, um, I'm guessing things start happening when it, it's turning into burnout. Yes, I suppose the, like stress might be, an example might be, you know, you have a project and you have to get the project out within two, three weeks, whatever it is. There's a deadline on it at the end of the month and you have to get that out and, you know, you know you got to do it, just got to get it done. You're working longer hours. Um, some people are loving it. Some people are hating it. And everything else in between, and but you know, there's an end in sight. Mm-hmm. Whereas that burnout is that prolonged, excessive. So if you imagine, <laughs> I don't know why the analogy of a woodpecker just came into my head, but something just pecking, pecking, pecking. <laughs> um, you know, I'm creating a bigger hole in the tree. Um, the idea of that excessive, prolonged, continuous set of stressors in your life that create a real kind of, I suppose, what you'd be feeling is quite emotionally drained, sometimes a sense of helplessness. Um, You know, your emotions might actually be um, diluted. So you might become quite, um, you know, distant from your friends and family. You know, you might have lost motivation. You're actually actively disengaged. So we were talking about engagement earlier on. You know, you might be actively disengaged in things and detached from work, even though you still have to get that work done. So it's a it's a double edged sword because you're you know, you're you're really exhausted and possibly don't even care, yet you still have to get it done. It's just it's not a great place to be. And unfortunately it's a place where a lot of people are and a lot of kind of senior leaders are and a lot of service functions are. So yeah, I get you. So, like in my mind, I'm sort of visualizing uh, what you're talking about here, and it sounds like there's the levels of stress, but then there's a kind of a timeline for those. And some, some there's probably some quadrant that I'm guessing some psychologists may have done at some point about, you know, the level of stress and how long it goes for. Mm. Um, and and there are probably the two kind of the two big things to kind of play with in terms of this. Um, but yeah, like. Where does where does stress like as a human like where is it actually coming from like and mm. and I don't just mean you know you mentioned a project but there's a human side to this right there's a yeah. a way we're wired or um, hormones or um, mm-hmm. what like whatever the hell stuff is inside uh, you know our skin that makes us do what we do and think what we think <laughs> um, yeah like what where's it coming from what's the causes yeah physiologically um, maybe is the way to to yeah. say that better yeah perfect word for it. Um, it is ultimately the good old fight or flight, you know, I think that, that one feels like it's wheeled out a lot, but ultimately that's what it is, you know, um, because it's, it's a state of flux. It's a, you know, if you think of, 
I'm sure you've been in many situations where something's kind of been, feels like it's been flung at you. So it might be a project or a piece of work, or it could be an axe. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, or it could be a dinosaur. Depending on how the project goes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it's the same idea. Like our, our bodies haven't really changed other than our, our, our necks have become more rounded from staring at phones. Um, but, you know, ultimately that, that system is still in there in, in all of us as human beings. And, you know, when something's being, when there's a stress being put upon you, your natural reaction is to, you know, go and act and do. And what that does is just triggers, you know, those release of hormones into your body. And it's telling you to either give up, which you don't really have a choice of doing, or you don't have a job, or get on with it and get the bloody project done and move on, get it done to the time that you need, the cost that you need, the budget, everything. So, you know, it's, that's where it having, I think, an awareness of what is going on for you and what kind of, um, I feel like saying danger signs, because that sounds quite strong, but just signs maybe that um, you might be moving from a, a state of stress into something a bit more like burnout. Um, so again, depending on your awareness levels of that, you know, maybe, you know, you could sit down with your partner or somebody you live with or whoever and say, you know, when you see me working on a project before, like, what have, what have I done when I'm really stressed? And they were like, oh, okay, well, let me tell you, because I'll only be happy to tell you <laughs> that like, you're really snappy with me, you're really tired, you're really cranky, you're really whatever. Um, and you can get that feedback to really start understanding, create awareness of what stress does to you um, to therefore stop it. Like any behavior, if you're talking about psychology, any behavior, you can't do anything with it, about it, change it unless you're aware of it in the first place. Hmm. So, you know, it's about awareness of triggers as well. Um, so things that, you know, um, particularly trigger you. Obviously, if that happens to be your boss, you can't really change that. <laughs> but, you know, whatever that might be, you know, it's about working on your relationship with your boss or the way they communicate with you or the way they ask for things last minute, for example. Or, you know, if you don't necessarily have that luxury and you're working um, on something that you don't uh, have so much of a choice about, for example, then it's, okay, How how can I essentially train or, or teach this person that the next time they ask me, they need to give me more time and explain the context to them and, you know, start working in different ways around creating a bit of a barrier between yourself and the stressor, uh, because ultimately they're not going to go away. And I suppose the way that we live uh, and society means that, you know, those things aren't going to go away as such. So we have to more create boundaries around them and be aware of our own stressors and try not to let those affect our physical and mental health, which is, you know, far more easier said than done. Um, and that's why, you know, even over the last six months, I look at the Australian Psychological Society, British Psychological Society, Psychology Society of Ireland, they're all developing and um, spending a ton of money on mental health. Um, even the, the health service in Ireland, which is not necessarily the best service in the world, have sent out a um, a free a free text service. So if you feel like 
you're not coping well, you can send in a text to this service and actually get a free kind of consultation with them. So we're seeing that stress is rising. Um, so I suppose what can we do about it? Be aware. Ask other people around us to highlight that to us. Create boundaries. Um, you know, try to change the way that we work with people. Try to uh, manage expectations a bit better. I think no matter which topic I'm talking about in organization, managing expectations comes up pretty much every single time. Um, so these are the kind of things that we can start thinking about and doing to try and create a little barrier for herself around stress. Absolutely. I'm, I'm just thinking as you were talking about asking, you know, your partner what your mm. what your signs are. Laura, I'm sure would say yes, definitely tetchy. Um, and also the uh, the bottle of Negroni I keep in the fridge tends to Ooh. like go pretty quickly. So yeah, it's um yeah, it's definitely a sign. Um, Absolutely. I wanted to kind of zone in. <clears throat> excuse me. I wanted to zone in then specifically on um CISO burnout which or CISO depending on your desired present pronunciation <laughs> it's a uh, it's a hot topic in the industry yes CISO mm. or CISO um but you know the the idea that our industry you know which is so resilient security broadly um but I'm sure like many is full of stress and you spend your time working with C-suite and, and mm -hmm. organizations in general um leaders in those organizations so I'm sure you're more than well aware of the the sort of stresses um certainly at the um, higher leadership or senior sh uh, leadership um, level. But is there something specific that's going on for CISOs, do you think? Yeah. Um, yeah, I was thinking about this a lot. Um, and I was basically trying to put myself back into all of the internal roles that I've had previously as well, because obviously I'm kind of, I'd be, sitting in and amongst and working day to day with, you know, CISOs and entire IT teams. And I suppose the thing that always struck me um, is, it's actually kind of to that emotional labor point I was talking about earlier on. It's, um, there's something around the service piece and it's, it, and again, it's the managing expectations actually when I think about it. It's um, the level of expectation of the service that people require. And there's there's so many aspects to that. So it's like it's dealing with that kind of intense and I suppose unrelenting series of questions, requests, challenges that just, you know, I imagine never seem to stop. Um, it's about navigating plans and changes to organizations that maybe, um, you know, haven't been thought through as well as they could be. It's about, you know, ultimately you can't change the world's behavior. So you can't change whether somebody decides it's a great idea to click on a link, which really they clearly shouldn't or give information to somebody who clearly they shouldn't, you know, people don't naturally think that way, but yet you're required to kind of clean that up if you like. Um, yep. so, you know, you've got a kind of really difficult role because you can't change how people see that risk as well. I think risk is another factor. 
So, you know, it's kind of found an interesting article that was basically asking what's the acceptable level of risk in cybersecurity. Because you can't control everything. You can't control people's behaviors. You can't fix everything. You can't put out every fire. Um, so it's just that, if you talk about that in relation to burnout and stress, you know, you talk about prolonged, relentless, these kind of yep. words, that comes up in terms of, you know, human error, risk, you know, um, the amount of requests that you're dealing with, getting other stakeholders on board, getting people to understand how important this is, um, and really getting, um, you know, an understanding of, of, of what's acceptable. You can't, you know, you can't go out as a CSO and say, well, what's, what's an acceptable level of risk? People are like, well, none. There is, you know, we have to have it at zero. Okay. Well, we can't because you can't do everything. So, you know, it's, it's, it's quite a difficult place to be because you can't solve everything. You can't win anything. You can't, um, you can't change the world in a day yet you're expected to um you know preserve the security preserve the safety yet you know i suppose if you think about it as a safety net it'd be the equivalent of you putting a safety net around the entire globe and nobody can do that maybe superman <laughs> so you know it's a really the original superman could i mean he was sort of <laughs> able to fly around the world and make time go backwards so maybe that's exactly. the CISO superpower that we need to invent you know fly around the planet and go back pre-breach and uh, you know figure out what the remediation actions were exactly well i mean yeah with anything it's about the the preemptiveness of it so if you could find a way to to kind of help people quickly and easily see the risk for themselves before the breach ever happening. You know, that's where it's probably going to be most beneficial, I think, in terms of um, looking at that versus fallout rate. So if it's something maybe around education in terms of, um, you know, and we talked about generations earlier on as well, each generation is going to view that risk at a different level as well in terms of who they're giving the information to, how they're, they're you know using things online so i think that might be an interesting way to look at it as well in terms of looking at risk behaviors um and getting to people before they do something silly yep like they just you know uh, drugs campaign in the 80s with uh, nancy reagan hey it could work let's go for it um you know obviously that's pretty frivolous sorry there, there's a you know the serious thing here is the very or or potentially serious impact to people at a personal level you know and we've we've talked a fair bit about that um but the reality is there's obviously going to be a material impact on an organization you know somebody's performance is down especially somebody um sitting in a role as important as as, as a CISO you know as you said they've got mm. a, a lot on their shoulders um can you walk us through the like the actual cost and the, the material impact or cost of stress and burnouts um to organizations it's going to presumably affect the um the bottom line in, mm-hmm. in some way yeah i mean even if you just if you look at um kind of average tenure for CISOs, it's kind of globally speaking there's a lot of studies to say it's around the 26 month mark um so if you're talking cost alone let alone anything else you know 
the cost of replacing that level role, the cost to the person who has been burnt out that's leaving after 26 months. Um, you know, those costs alone are, are, are massive for those individuals. In terms of a global scale, you know, the World Economic Forum basically said, that was even a couple of years ago, burnout's costing the global economy £255 billion. Um, so, like, you just got to look at a, at a micro level to any organisation. Like, I work in, in um, I work from home in Grand Canal Dock in Dublin, so we're basically kind of, little mini silicon docks. So I work across the road from like Google and Facebook and everything. And, you know, I know how the, you know, the stresses that people are under and you can see if I physically look at the building across the road from me, there's probably about 300 people in the building. Imagine if half of those were stressed and then you start looking at costs of, okay, well, if I look at these, you know, 150 people across the road from me, they're stressed they might be you know what how many sick days a year are they taking you know what what kind of um environment are they bringing home um you know what kind of um effects is this having on their personal and professional lives those kind of things so depending on how you look at it you know there's the whole micro level which if you take I think when we're thinking about behaviours and we're thinking about impacts, we should start looking at ourselves because that will give us the, the best kind of um, way to relate it back to ourselves. So, you know, I assume we've all been in a stressful situation. Um, and how has that impacted us? Then you multiply that by billions and billions and then you've got the, the global and economic cost. Of it. Yeah, it's it's just... And I re- like, you know, I... Th- I Part of me gets disheartened and then the other part I get heartened because I look at even the last six months in Ireland, obviously that's where I'm based. Um, there has been a lot of focus and a lot of investment around well-being. And to me, that's that's really quite heartening where I think if you're leading or managing a team or working in an organization, what you have to be mindful of, though, is that, you know, doing talks or getting somebody in to, to speak about wellness does not a wellness culture create, you know, it has to be much more long-term. It has to be what we were talking about earlier on in terms of kind of doing it from the top and making sure that you're um, really kind of creating a change and giving a positive impact to the people that are working there. Because, you know, if you take even the, the 255 billion cost to the economy alone, um, what about the mental health of the global population? It's just... You know, it's a massive, massive, massive area um, and, you know, it's not going to be solved in the next kind of couple of months, especially with everything happening with COVID. So what are the small steps you can take in your organization? And, and you don't have to be a leader in your organization. You can change the way that you speak to people that you work with on a daily basis. You can check in with people that maybe you just haven't really kind of ever really done before. Um, so it's taking those little steps because um, sometimes I think looking at it from that macro perspective it can be a bit too daunting um, yeah. so we can look at the, the the local effects and start small and build out and if you, you take that kind of um, building a net around the world analogy it's the same idea start, start building those um, those maybe spider webs around the world so you've got Spider-Man dealing with <laughs> building the webs around the world and creating wellness webs <laughs> And then you've got Superman building the net. 
This is like the worst uh, superhero movie I've I've heard a script for yet. Mm. But I, I get the point. I only started it's, watching uh, Avengers recently. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I definitely I get the um, I, I get what you're saying. Um, what I would like to do is kind of end on a fairly practical uh, note, and you know, just talk about the specifics of. Uh, some things that maybe people could do to take care of themselves. You know, what are the, the things that they could do uh, regardless of whether they're maybe recognizing now that they're in the early signs or, you know, the early stages of stress or they're maybe further along and they're, they feel like they maybe are burning out or or, or something. Um, do, do you have any kind of practical yeah, suggestions, you know, things that mm-hmm. people could do today or, you know, in the coming weeks? Yeah. Um, I usually uh, refer people to positive psychology, which, um, again, if you have any interest, is um, I suppose the father, founding father of positive psychology is a guy called Martin Seligman, um, and he's based at the University of Pennsylvania. And there's actually a ton of um, information that he has that's all free online. You can actually do a load of kind of psychometrics and questionnaires and get a gauge for how you're feeling and um you know, your levels of optimism, those kind of things um, on the University of Pennsylvania website, which is, I think some people find really interesting. But what he does is uses um, a model, which is called the PERMA model. Um, and it's, I suppose, a focus or a way for individuals to look at general well-being and, um, you know, focusing on the element of, of positivity. So what that stands for is the P is for positive emotions. So it's the the idea of kind of trying to start proactively looking for the good in things. Um, it's definitely been a kind of contentious one when I've talked to people about this before because people are like, well, I'm a pessimist, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> so that's absolutely fine. I'm a realist. <laughs> you know, we can all debate about that all day. But, you know, if you start choosing to look at things in a different way, then you will start doing things in a different way. Um, then the E stands for engagement. And what this means is he, he uses the phrase kind of finding flow. Um, and I wouldn't be a major fan of that phrase, but ultimately when you think about it, it's like, I always say to people, what's one thing that you do that you would never notice time just passing you by? So it might be like surfing, it might be reading, it might be playing a musical instrument, it might be, you know, I don't know, speaking to your family, whatever that is, find that flow, find um, something that you do that you just love. Because when you think about it, you know, when you're in that moment, you're not thinking about work, you're not thinking about stress. Hmm. You know, if you're truly loving being on that surfboard, you're like just loving life and you're you know, looking at the birds, the waves, whatever, and you're just, it, it, it allows your, your body, your mind to replenish in that moment. Um, so find more and more of those things to do. Um, well, your uh, description of like surfing there is pretty much my experience, which is much more about looking at the, the waves and the birds than actually being on waves. So <laughs> that resonates. <laughs> Coming back up from under the water when you fell off. Yeah, yeah pretty much. <laughs> so you still can't surf then, Gar. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for oh. bringing that up, Jess. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm only kidding. You're better than I am. Um, and then the R in Perma is for relationships. So that's about authentic connections. So basically, when you think about it, you know, um, what we need as human beings or what we kind of, we crave, we're naturally social beings. So we crave connections. 
So for some people that might be, I have two or three best mates, that's it. Perfect. You know, other people might be like, well, I've, you know, I've been friends with like 5,000 people and, you know, I'm out with those people all the time. But whatever floats your boat, it doesn't matter. It's about creating relationships and connections that are authentic to you that you can have kind of, I suppose, deep and meaningful conversations with people. Um, because that, again, when you think about it, you know, in terms of building up your resilience, building up your well-being, building yourself up and giving yourself energy and, and to be able to fight that stress and burnout and, and be able to be more resilient against it, then, you know, if you've got great people around you, then, you know, all the better. Um, the M in PERMA is for meaning. And this is a kind of a huge area um, in terms of actually, if you're thinking about the, the generations, the Gen Zers are really um, craving meaning. So it's about finding meaning and purpose in what you're doing. So is what I'm doing creating something for the better good or, you know, something bigger than me? Um, so a lot of people are looking to understand what creates meaning for them in their organization and what does that organization stand for? And then on a personal level, you know, what's what's meaningful to me in my life so if you can start asking yourself those questions um i think they they can help us build that resilience and and create that blocker that i was talking about earlier on in terms of those stressors and then achievement is the the a in perma so that sense of accomplishment so if you think of the the, like the smallest thing that i don't know maybe it's changing the toilet paper roll Maybe it's changing, you know, a light bulb that has been out for three months and you finally do it one night and you're like, God, thank God I did that. It's been sitting there for three months. It's it just the yeah. <laughs> smallest little thing, but it feels good. Exactly. So it's just bringing that feeling of, of achievement into our lives. So Martin Seligman would say using this model, this PERMA model of, of really looking at those five areas can help you build yourself up and create more ability to be more resilient and to fight against, um, you know, I suppose those negative stresses in your life. It's important to probably say as well that, you know, stressors can be really beneficial to a lot of people as well and very helpful and spur, spur us on to do things. Um, but I suppose if you think about just having a little, a buffer between yourself and the stressor is always a good, a good place to be because otherwise that's when it starts moving into the burnout and you feel like, um, there is no, there's no end to it. There's no pause. So that's just no one pause. model. Oh, we, we nearly had the perfect finish there. Um, Sorry. And, and the word pause. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, that that, that is um, phenomenal. It, it's interesting, as you mentioned, the achievement thing, because um, I think we're pretty much, yeah, we're, we're actually a little bit over time. But um, I read an article, it's probably a few years ago now, written by a military guy. And he, I can't remember where it was, maybe Harvard Business Review or one of those kind of, mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of magazines. And he talked about the the usefulness of making your bed as the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning. Um, and obviously not the first thing you need to get out of the bed first before you make it, um, unless you're some kind of a, you know, magician. Um, but, you know, the point is get out of the bed and then the first thing you do is make it. And his point was no matter what else happens that day, you've achieved you've something this. like you've made your bed and you've, you know, it sort of sets you up psychologically. Um, I know a lot of people who run or surf or do those kind of things, 
the whole running thing, you know, you leave your sneakers by the bed so that you just get up, you do it. And then no matter what happens the rest of the day, you've, you've done your, you've, you've done something. And um, yeah, personally, I'm a massive believer in that. And also ugh, like in the spirit of, of vulnerability and openness, like I've definitely spent times doing gratitude journals and mm-hmm. it's, it's a weirdly effective and useful thing. And I'm, I'm probably naturally a call it realist or pessimist take your pick uh, <laughs> so i'm not i'm probably not wired for uh, uh optimism if i'm honest um mm-hmm. in in some areas i am but in, in others i'm not but um yeah definitely found that an incredibly useful practice and one that i think when you started it feels a little bit silly or it did for me and maybe it wouldn't for other people but i felt a bit like well this is a bit this is a bit hippie this isn't me and um yeah something kind of happens where the habit kicks in and I think what maybe what was happening was I was starting to look for things that I could potentially <laughs> put in the journal in the evening. So you're almost setting yourself up to be more observant for what are the good things mm-hmm. that happened today versus, mm-hmm. you know, if there's no reason to to pay attention. And and sometimes, I, I mean, again, I'm, you know, I'm not, I don't do what you do, but like just the paying attention thing, I think can be yeah. really useful. You're just noticing, you know, that the world is actually, uh, an incredibly interesting and good place in so many ways, despite all the shenanigans happening all over the world. There's a Absolutely. lot of just cool stuff in, in kind of individual moments and people and yeah, all that stuff. That's the whole premise of mindfulness. Just try yes. to find yep. a way to, to be in the moment to be aware of what's going on around you right here, right now. Yep. So, you know, that's the simplest way to look at it. Because again, if you, if you think about that in terms of resilience and, and beating away stress, then that's, it's a great, place to start as well in terms of looking at mindfulness and because if you're only focusing on there right here right now it's probably not as bad as your brain is making you think it is you know so it's it's all of those things to build yourself up and create those moments even if it's a fleeting moment it's better than it's better having that fleeting moment being in the mindful present of here and now versus being in a stressful moment or a burnout moment of, oh my God, I don't see a way of this changing, you know? So find all those moments and eventually over time, like anything, you build you build a habit of creating more elements, moments, time, people, you know, relationships in your life, um, doing things you love. And it's not about saying, you know, you need to now spend three hours this week doing X, Y, and Z. Spend one minute and just build on it. Yep. Um, and those kind of things can really make a massive positive impact. As will hopefully this conversation. Um, <laughs> yeah, look, I, I, I know we've kind of run over time, but uh, I think it's an important, a very, very important conversation yeah. to be having um, just given what's going on in the world. So I uh, really appreciate you taking the time and your expertise as been incredibly useful to tap into and uh, all those years you've spent in um, and in that variety of roles that you've um, described for us we will include um, you know links to some of the resources you've mentioned in the show mm-hmm. notes and also link to your to your site I believe you do do some stuff in Australia I know you do some stuff in the yeah. international scene so yeah we'll, we'll include links to your um, to your website and stuff like that but thank you jess really appreciate it good to talk to a, a good friend and an old friend um in, Not that in this environment so yeah <laughs> um yeah really appreciate it <laughs> thanks so much for having me absolute pleasure thanks again to jess for that conversation so much there to get into and i hope her insights help people 
We'll include a bunch of resources in the show notes for this one. As always, thank you for listening to the Get Cyber Resilient podcast. The VAC catalog, as ever, is growing, so dip into those and subscribe, like, share, let your friends know, and let us know of people you want interviewed or topics you want us to cover. For now, keep physically and mentally safe, and I look forward to catching you on the next episode.